Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Before we go any deeper, I thought I'd take a moment to let you know where we're heading. Today, we dive into one of the stories that Will White sent to his mailing list subscribers at some point in the last few years. All of these short stories are tucked away inside one or another of his worlds. Maybe Cradle, possibly Elder Empire, but probably Traveler's Gate. If you have never heard of those worlds before, then you do not have the training to extract full meaning from this journey. You may continue if you wish, but you may not reach true enlightenment. You'll know you were fully prepared for the story if we emerge from this podcast and you suddenly begin levitating and or glowing. Now, tighten the straps on your pack and raise your torch high, because we're delving into places unknown. Don't worry, most of you will probably make it out alive. Steel Diplomacy 359th year of the Damascan calendar. First year in the reign of Queen Leah I. Three days since midwinter. Sharanan Austrius, blood of the stars, adjusted his coat, a rich violet treasure crawling with silver embroidery. He drew himself up, examining his figure in the full-length mirror, and was quite satisfied with the figure he cut. His skin was butter-yellow and flawless, like a sunflower in bloom, his flowing hair the black of pitch with just a tinge of purple. His crowning eye in the center of his forehead was closed now, outlined in an accented oval of charcoal. When he opened it, if he deigned to look upon these foreigners with such clarity, the eye would blaze with purest white. He would outshine the natives like a jewel among mud, even in the heart of their own court. Tell me, he said to the red-skinned counselor kneeling beside him, what will the Damascan queen expect of me? It is difficult to be certain, Starblood, the servant said. He was earthbound, an inferior descendant, destined to serve those who inherited the blood of stars. When last your ancestors crossed the desert, the land was not unified. It is scarcely so now, Sharanan said, admiring his smile in the mirror. A loose collection of city-states bound together by their fear of Ragnaros. The earthbound servant dipped his head closer to the floor. The myth of the Crimson Vault can do nothing more than keep the ignorant in line, but I would still advise vigilance. Even a single Elysian traveler is more than your servants can contend with. Sharanan was well aware of this, but it was the earthbound's purpose to provide timely reminders. Nothing less than rumors of the City of Light could have drawn them down from their homeland, through the Badari Desert, and into this scattered mess that could be generously called a kingdom. After all, the blood of Elysia flowed through his veins. Valenhall and Ragnaris were almost certainly myths. There were only the eight lower territories, and the long-vanished Elysia to rule over them all. These other two were illusions, imitations, Tartarus travelers using superstition to prey on an uneducated populace. It was unthinkable that the ancient nation of Temeria, with its proud traditions of scholarship and investigation, could have failed to discover two unknown territories. Though it seemed that Elysia had reopened its gates here, so it bore investigating. It all did. Any advantage he gained here could give him the edge over his rivals back home and the first to bring back proof of Elysia would be honored before the seven stones. They will understand me, won't they? Sharanan asked, fiddling with his sleeves. Should I speak slowly? Your ancestors had no difficulties communicating previously, Starblood, 
his earthbound said. Any failure on their part will stem from ignorance, not language. And where are your partners? Sharonan asked, glancing directly at his servant. Three earthbound served him personally, though his entourage on this expedition totaled 48 individuals. Some were lesser starbloods under Sharonan's command, some earthbound as servants and soldiers, some blue-skinned moonfolk as scholars and investigators. The other bloodlines had been deemed unnecessary for this task. Investigating the layout of the palace, the servant responded. They must ensure quick entry to any chamber, public or private, in case the starblood requires us to engage in steel diplomacy. Traditional diplomacy will suffice unless they betray us, or if I decide Tamaria will benefit. Sharonan examined his smile again, running his tongue along his teeth. Or if I just don't like them. The guest hall of Cana's royal palace, or the great hall, or the dining hall, or whatever they chose to call it in Damascus, looked like a child's attempt to imitate Tamerian grandeur. The vaulted ceiling was scarcely forty feet high, the art in the stained glass windows painfully abstract, the table in the center of the hall huge and impractically wide. A Tamerian host would provide a variety of tables that the guests could drift and mingle as they pleased. Worse, the whole of the room smelled new, as though they had only just constructed this building when the only true value came from age. The people were even more offensive to the eye, though this wasn't truly their fault. They couldn't help how they were born. There were forty-eight of them, exactly the same number as the Temerian party, and many of them, perhaps all, were travelers. He picked out Naraka, Avernus, Ornheim, and the rest from their costumes, which he had memorized in his research on this place. Only two stood out in his eyes, the two that stood in the center of the group like the sun at the center of the stars. One of them was Queen Leah I, who, if rumor could be believed, had inherited her seat after a violent coup. She was as displeasing to the eye as the rest of them, with her dirty skin and mud-brown hair, but she wore a flowing red and gold dress that must have cost as much as his own outfit. Maybe one of his ancestors had sold it to one of hers. Besides her clothes, he found her eyes intriguing. One a bright blue, which was not a proper shade for an eye, and the other a blazing red stone. An Avernus raven of the Corvinus tribe perched on her left shoulder, cawing when it saw Sharonan. He dipped his head to the bird. Whatever the shortcomings of this country, the Corvinus were not to blame. Behind the queen, lurking like her shadow, stood the other Damascan that had caught Sharonan's attention. This must be the bodyguard, the one who had earned such attention for Valenhall. He looked young, with skin darker than the queen's, and he wore a hooded black cloak wrapped around his body. He met Sharonan's gaze with an absolute lack of respect, then moved on to examine the faces of every other Temerian in turn. Sharonan's certainty grew. Healthy paranoia was a classic trait of Tartarus travelers who trained in the harsh environment of the steel labyrinth. A Tartarus traveler would never fight alone, and this young man was standing as though he took sole responsibility for the queen's safety, but that was all a facade meant to prop up the Valenhall myth. His fellow Tartarus travelers were surely seated among the crowd, ready to lend him a sword. His earthbound announced the arrival of the Temerian ambassadors, who after centuries of silence had finally decided to cross the great desert and visit their neighbors to the south. 
The Damascan heralds responded with vague assurances and poorly worded well wishes, but that was less than surprising. If his research was to be believed, some Damascans had forgotten about the Temerians entirely. Even as the servants exchanged scripted greetings, some of the travelers gazed on him with wide eyes. He straightened under their attention, smoothing his coat. The Temerians were a beautiful people, and these foreigners were fortunate to have their chance to witness such beauty firsthand. When the heralds had finished, Queen Leah swept her gaze across the crowd. Sharonin found himself wondering precisely what her red eye saw. Friends from Temeria, we have much to share with one another. Later, she smiled slightly. For now, let us eat. Servants swept in bearing covered trays, and Sharonan couldn't hide his surprise. It wouldn't have been strange for a Starblood speech to last more than an hour when welcoming a guest. Tonight, he was pleased for the brevity. He needed to investigate Ragnaris and Elysia, and the sooner he could do so, the sooner he could return home. His earthbound guided him to a seat to the right hand of the queen, and when he arrived, he favored her with a generous bow. I am Sharonan Austrius, blood of the stars, Queen Leah. May I join you at your end of the table? In Temeria, he would have asked to join her table, which would have been separate from the rest and likely elevated. He wasn't quite sure how to address the matter here, but he covered any awkwardness with a charming smile. She gestured at him to sit, then immediately steepled her hands over her meal. Starblood Sharonan, I'd like to apologize in advance for any offense we might offer you. Our records of your culture are sadly brief and outdated, so if we fail to accommodate you in any way, please let me know. In his experience, that was a surprisingly humble way for a queen to speak. But she didn't look humble. She looked like a woman focused on conducting business or directing a battle. His opinion of her rose. I should say the same to you, your highness. While our nation has overlooked you for all this time, it seems that time moves quickly in the South. I will endeavor not to give offense, but I have so many questions that I am afraid I may exhaust your patience. If she could be straightforward, so could he. Maybe that was the way to deal with the southern barbarians. I'm never offended by earnest questions. She gave another miniature smile. Though I am sometimes exhausted by them. He laughed, turning his attention to his plate. Then you should let me know when you're becoming tired, so we may turn to other subjects. It was a pity Queen Leah was so ugly, because once he started with his questions, he found her fascinating. She seemed experienced beyond her age, and she had a refreshing sense of humor. She danced around his questions about Ragnaros and Valenhall, which he'd expected. No powerful information ever came easily. But she was ready to tell him about Elysia. Evidently, she was familiar with the Elysian traveler Alan, who had given up his humanity to ascend into an Elysian incarnation. That wasn't quite how Queen Leah put it, but Sharonan could read between the gaps of what was said as well as anyone. I would be eternally grateful to see the home of my ancestors, even just once, Sharonan said, gauging her reaction. She lifted both eyebrows. Your ancestors came from Elysia. Indeed they did, Sharonan said proudly. In my line runs the blood of the Gold District and of Lyriel. As the sun and the moon mingle to create the stars, so was I born. And your servants, Leah asked, looking to the muscular red-skinned men and women kneeling by the table. The red runs strongly in them, so they are suited only for manual chores, 
The moonfolk are descended from blue and silver, and the sunborn are they soldiers, her bodyguard cut in quietly. Sharonan looked to him, irritated. He'd almost succeeded in forgetting the young man with the black cloak, having ignored him since the beginning of the meal. Simon, as he was called, loomed behind the queen's chair like a specter of death and doomed conversation. But Queen Leah, who should have kept her man in line, remained silent as though waiting for a response. The Red Ones, Simon continued, are they soldiers? The Earthbound also serve us as personal guards or enforcers, Sharonan said, staying focused on Queen Leah. Her bodyguard should take the hint. However, I can assure you that they are quite tame. If their presence disturbs you, you could consider them trained dogs. A protector who ignored his instructions wouldn't be very good at his job, Leah remarked, taking a sip from her glass. She didn't glance at Simon, but Sharonan heard the rebuke, and he turned a triumphant smile to the bodyguard. Any earthbound would have slunk away in shame at such a comment. Simon didn't seem to notice. He was running his gaze along the Temerians, counting earthbound, Sharonan realized. Are they all travelers? The guard asked, and Sharonan reached the end of his patience. You allow your servants to speak freely here, I see. He sharpened his voice and his smile. His personal earthbound, picking up on his tone, edged closer. Simon stretched out a hand as though steadying himself on a banister. His sleeve fell back, and Sharonan caught sight of a curious black tattoo on the young man's wrist. Surprisingly, Simon hadn't reached for his Tartarus key. A bodyguard with reflexes that slow couldn't be very good at his job. Leah wore the same pleasant expression she'd worn all evening, spearing a chunk of lamb and lifting it to her lips as though she couldn't sense the tension around her. My father allowed his bodyguard a great deal of freedom as well. It's something of a family tradition. With that much freedom, a god could bring you trouble instead of keeping it from you. Sharonan gestured, and his earthbound sank back down to the floor. There was no need for steel diplomacy just yet. After all, this room was still filled with travelers, and he had not quite decided what to make of Queen Leah I. If he was to turn the situation to his advantage, he needed a topic that did not include Simon of Valid Hall. Queen Leah lowered her fork, the milky white crystal dangling on her wrist. He seized the opportunity, pointing to it. Ah, I see you have traveled Lyriel yourself. His research had revealed that about her already, but it was more polite to act surprised. You may have encountered some records of my ancestors who were fortunate enough to mingle their blood with that of Elysia. Leah leaned forward, for the first time looking truly interested. Perhaps I have. I would be honored to hear anything you can tell me of your Lyrial ancestors. Finally, a topic that would engage them both while leading directly into what he wanted to discuss. If he shared information about Lyriel, he could segue nicely into her other territory, Ragnaros. Perhaps he could confirm his theory that the Crimson Vault and Valenhall were both simply aspects of Tartarus, and perhaps he would learn that the Southerners had truly stumbled onto vast new sources of power. Either way, he would benefit. He reached into his coat to withdraw a memory crystal, an heirloom of his Starblood line, and suddenly his wrist was caught in a painful grip and his vision was swallowed by shadows. Simon the bodyguard was standing on the table over him, cloak hanging like a bat's wings, his hand gripping Sharonan's arm like a vice. 
Sharonin's arm was stuck inside his coat, still holding the cool crystal. Let me see that, please, Simon said, his voice even. Sharonin's three earthbound exploded in rage. They screamed as one, rushing the black-cloaked Tartarus traveler, and Simon's other hand shot out to the side. He was about to remove his key and summon a weapon, Sharonin was sure. Leah's voice cracked like a whip. That's enough. Her words held all the authority of a true starblood, and even his earthbound slowed for an instant. Simon swiveled his head to look at her. Let him go, Simon, she said. Simon released Sharonan without a word of apology, hopping off the table. A pitcher overturned in his wake, spilling wine onto the floor, which was quickly caught by Damascan servants with towels. Did you really think he had a weapon? Leah asked, exasperated. To Sharonan's fury, the bodyguard had his attention wholly fixed on the queen. You wanted me on guard. In Valenhall, on guard means you treat everything as a threat. Classic Tartarus paranoia, once again dressed up in the cloak of this Valenhall. If Simon was truly on guard, he wouldn't have turned his head. One of Sharonan's earthbound pulled a slender serpentine sword from his cloth belt, and in the same instant, without turning around, Simon put out his hand as though to summon something. For the first time, Simon had done something truly startling. Tartarus had no powers of detection or superior awareness. It was one of the territory's three greatest weaknesses, as listed by the strategist Novariat Jalian Moon over water. He must have reacted by his ears alone, and that was actually somewhat impressive. Leah gave Sharonan a hard look, made harder by her glowing red eye. The raven perched on the back of her chair mirrored her, adding in a caw for good measure. Simon, please apologize for insulting our guest and his tame servants. The earthbound hurriedly put his sword away, and Simon turned to face Sharonan. I'm sorry, Simon said. I was overeager. But he did not bow, and he kept his hands hidden in his cloak. It's growing late, and we're all tired, Sharonan said with a conciliatory smile. Why don't we meet again once we have refreshed ourselves with some sleep? The queen agreed, Simon slunk back to his corner, and the dinner slid to a halt. Four hours later, Sharonan woke when the moon was high. He stretched, letting the three earthbound strip him of his bedrobe and replace it with something more appropriate for midnight. He emerged, expecting to see Queen Leah and her entourage waiting on him, or at least someone tasked with seeing to his needs. Instead, he found only two very startled-looking guards. Ask them where I might find the queen, Sharonan instructed his earthbound, who repeated the question to the dumbfounded pair. She'll be sleeping, my lord. Sharonan glanced out a half-shuttered window. The moon was already high. Still... Does she make a practice of sleeping away her days? The guard's jaw gaped like a snake's as he fished for something to say, but Sharonan had no time. He made a sweeping gesture, and two of his earthbound seized them in muscled arms. The guards pulled steel keys, revealing themselves as Tartarus travelers, but earthbound were inhumanly strong. They bound the guards in seconds, using cloth they carried for exactly this purpose, and then tossed the southerners into Sharonan's room. The whole process took perhaps twenty seconds. When they had finished, Sharonan strode down the hallway while calling Lyriel. A tiny metal bead appeared in midair, bobbing along as it waited for instruction. 
Sharonin could find his way to the queen easily enough, and if she was still sleeping, well, that was simply rude to leave a guest awake and alone at midnight. An insult like this, and he might have to resort to drastic measures. But he'd give her a chance to wake up first. Two more sets of guards tried to stop him, but none of them were travelers, so his earthbound made short work of them. They had strength like bears in their wiry red arms, while these southerners seemingly had no gifts whatsoever, and such dull skin. His lyrial crystal located the queen's bedchamber quickly, with only one man sitting outside. He could guess who it was, though he did wonder why Simon would be sitting alone. Tartarus travelers worked in groups. Before they rounded the corner, Sharonan flashed a series of hand signals to his three earthbound. They fanned out, pulling serpentine swords from belts, loosening red shoulders. Simon might be claiming the powers of a fake territory, but he had a reputation that was real enough. He had fought incarnations, so the rumors said, and while the idea was obviously exaggerated, he may indeed have participated in those battles. He would be a veteran despite his age, an elite among Tartarus, and so he shouldn't be taken lightly. Sharonan would not underestimate him. The earthbound crossed the corner first at a dead run, Sharonan behind them. He was already tapping his lyrial source, prepared to encase his target in crystal if he seemed ready to summon anything. But his earthbound were strong and well-trained. They would leave little for him to do. Simon stood waiting for them. His hood was up, his shaded face toward the earthbound. In his left hand, he cradled a doll in a powder-blue dress, golden ringlets falling to her shoulders, and a bonnet tied over her head. A little girl's toy. Was this part of some embarrassing collection of the queens, or did Simon perhaps have a daughter? His right hand was stretched out just as before, and Sharonan prepared himself. At the first sight of a key, he would call Crystal. The earthbound sped up when they saw him, their bare feet slapping against tile. They made no shout that might alert the locals, and they fanned out in the wide hallway to come at their opponent from three directions. No key appeared in Simon's hand. Instead, the air shimmered with haze, and a slender seven-foot sword popped into existence. It startled Sharonan for a moment with its sheer size, until he realized that he had been right all along. This was a Tartarus steel sword. How could anyone have fallen for the obvious lie of a tenth territory? and the people of this country had apparently bought an eleventh as well. Then the light of the nearby lantern caught the flat of Simon's blade, and Sharonan's lungs froze. A line of gold ran down the center of the sword. His eyes were drawn to that line, and even the crowning eye in his forehead twitched, drawing open just a crack. In the vision granted him by his bloodline, that line of gold shone with the light of Elysia. By the time the first earthbound reached Simon, Sharonan should have encased the bodyguard's hand in crystal, but he was paralyzed, his vision filled with the Elysian sun. When the serpentine sword flickered out, Simon's blade crashed into it. By all rights, a weapon that long should have been slow. The Damascan strike sliced the earthbound sword in half, nicking the Temerian's red skin and carved a gap six inches deep into the opposite wall of the hallway. By this time, the second earthbound had arrived, leaping and bringing his blade down from above, even as Simon's weapon struck. The young bodyguard flowed like liquid shadow, slipping under and around the falling swordsman with the motions of an eel. He dragged his silver and gold sword behind him, gripping it in both hands. 
he met the third Earthbound, who stood his ground with admirable courage. Simon swung the sword with the Elysian core using both hands, tearing a line through the plaster coating one wall, shredding a tapestry, slicing through a table, and slamming it into the Earthbound's side. The movement was so fast that Sharonan couldn't catch it, as though Simon had drawn a blurring sheet in the air. Despite Sharonan's expectation, his servant was not sliced in half through the waist. The Earthbound's weapon was twisted and broken, his arm bleeding, and he'd fallen to his knees. By this time, the second of Sharonan's guards had landed and recovered himself. He and Simon had ended up back to back, and when the Earthbound realized that, he growled in shame and anger. His red muscles bulged, his eyes flickered scarlet, and he drew on the power that his ancestors had left him. With a roar, he reversed his twisted sword and plunged it at the back of Simon's neck. Somehow, Simon turned and caught the man's wrists. Sharonan had once seen an earthbound butcher throw the corpse of a young bull across a street and into a wagon. Earthbound were steady and dedicated, which made them reliable guards and wise counselors, but none could stand before them in a contest of strength. Except, apparently, this Valenhall. Simon seized two red wrists in his hands, dropping his massive blade. He slid back until his shoes caught on the carpet, steadied his footing, leaned in, and actually kept the sword at bay. Both men were straining, sweat rolling down their skin and veins popping out from their skin, but neither had the advantage. The point of the sword quivered over Simon's chest, and Sharonan almost opened his crowning eye to be sure his vision wasn't deceiving him. He kept it closed only because he didn't want Elysia to blind him again. With a grunt, Simon heaved forward and actually pushed the earthbound back a few steps. The red-skinned man staggered, catching his balance, even as Simon leaned with one hand against a wall. At least that was something. His strength wasn't endless. At this moment, an arched door in the hall opened, and an older woman in a shapeless cap stuck her head out. The queen was sleeping, and you've woken her, the woman said sternly. She knows what you're up to out here, and she says you'd best finish it quickly. She clucked her tongue. You know better than this, Simon. Then she shut the door. Simon rubbed the back of his neck, looking sheepish. He cleared his throat. Sorry, he said, though the woman was gone. All three earthbound were on their feet by now, though two of them were disarmed. They all three advanced, as they would continue to do unless and until they were killed. But Simon didn't seem worried. He reached into his cloak and pulled out a metal mask. Even behind its lid, Sharonan's crowning eye shivered at the sight. She wants it over quickly, Simon explained. He raised the mask to his face, and the earthbound charged. Stop, Sharonan ordered, though not loud enough that he might once again disturb the queen's maidservant. The earthbound withdrew immediately. After a second, Simon replaced his mask, though he did bend down and lift the hilt of his sword from the carpet. That sword, Sharonan said. Where did you get it? Simon considered him for a moment, as though he hadn't heard the question correctly. From my territory, Valenhall. This time, Sharonan believed him. What has Valenhall to do with Elysia? Simon scratched his head with his free hand. Well, I think the gold in this sword is supposed to come from Elysia, and I fought the Elysian incarnation last year, 
you did. His strength was extraordinary, but Elysia was the highest territory. It was considered a match for all the eight lower territories combined. If he had indeed survived a round of combat with the incarnation of Elysia, it would be commendable. What do you know of the Elysian travelers? He didn't expect much of an answer, so he was surprised when Simon responded immediately. There's only one now, but I grew up with her in the same village. Her, her sisters, and her brother. He tapped the distant end of his sword on the carpet, tearing it. He didn't seem to notice. You know, they're holding trials for the next generation of Elysian travelers. Open trials. Sharonan cracked his crowning eye a bit to try and see the slightest hint of deceit, but once again he was blinded by the Elysian gold. Truly. I know where the gate comes out. I can take you there myself. A slight, self-satisfied smile appeared on his face. But I am going to need you to sign some things. Some sort of peace treaty, I'm sure, just to make sure we don't attack each other. Leah wants trade agreements, that sort of thing. She'll tell you. If you keep her happy, I can introduce you to the Elysian incarnation first thing in the morning. Sharonan had grown up on stories of the City of Light. All the authority he had came from his distant ancestors, those impossibly wise and powerful inhabitants of Elysia. If he came back as the first one to see it, better yet, if he came back with a chance of creating a Temerian traveler of Elysia, he extended his hand before hesitating. In the south, do you shake hands to seal agreements? Simon nodded gravely. We do. He extended his hand, which was wrapped in black chains. Sharonan took it. Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was Steel Diplomacy by Will White, read by Travis Baldry. The next episode will be available when the starlight shines on the Forgotten Shrine, unleashing the glass beast upon Ireland, so about a week from now. Until that time, remember, if you see one golden leaf on a tree whose other leaves are all still green, run away and try not to look back. <laughs>